Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. How are you? How are you doing this fine Mother's Day? Happy Mother's Day to you. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm great. I'm great. It was beautiful today. And I think it was beautiful in some other parts of this country as well. And not only was it beautiful, but I got to participate in a massive, massive rally that was called by two organizations that 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 named this event in March. Uh, what was it? It was like Dupin et des Forêts or March pour la Terre pour les Mers, like a Mother's Day march for the earth or, 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 or riffing on the, the, the line bread and roses saying bread and trees. I mean, it's just it was amazing. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people were in the streets and it felt like, oh, that's the energy that I've been looking for. That's the energy that I think people have been sitting on and needing to express it in some way. And so it's just amazing. Amazing. I'm good. How are you? That's beautiful. What a beautiful Mother's Day. Um, I'm great. I mean, I, I today watched the conservative leadership debate. So I didn't get the same sort of energy I feel like that you got. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. I didn't feel, you know, after watching the conservative leadership debate, like energized about anything. So different, uh, but the sun is still out. Wow. And it is beautiful. You're in day, sunny LA. Come on. Come on. In Los Angeles. <laughs> It was overcast this morning. Oh, that's also special when that happens because you're like, oh, weird. Yeah, it was weird. I was like, this is weird, but it's all cleared up now. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> well, that's nice. I have some questions about that debate because I did not watch it, but um, maybe we should thank people first. Yeah, let's thank people first. Yes, we have a lot of people to thank. So in the past week, if you've changed your donation, if you've donated for the first time, we have to say thank you so, so, so much. To Sophie, Emily, Katie, Kevin, and Melinda. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you all so much. We so appreciate you. Um, I have less appreciation for all of the people who I watched <laughs> debate uh, today <laughs> in the conservative leadership uh, debate, which actually actually aired some point last week, but I didn't have a chance to watch it. Uh, but now that I am finished law school, I have I can make better choices in my life about what I want to do during the day. And <laughs> the choice that I made today was to watch uh, the leadership hopefuls for uh, the, <laughs> the Conservative Party of Canada duke it out. And if you didn't watch it, if you missed it, you didn't miss much. There's not a lot worth saying here, but will I, what I will say is, is this. Uh, the two front runners who are Jean Charest and Pierre Polyver, how does he say it again? Polyver. 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 And Pierre Polyver. The two of them uh, were really going at it. Um, it was as though there was nobody Gross. else on the stage. Gross. And yes, yes. And I think it's uh, very clear. Um, I mean, Judging by the applause, Pierre definitely had a lot more people in the room who were supporting him. But what was really weird was the kind of style of debate. So you know how we've spoken a few times on this show that about like this weird political moment that we're in where like history doesn't exist? 
that was big in this debate. Like Pierre would, uh, for for example, there was a moment where they were debating taxes, and Charret was talking about his record reducing the income tax in Quebec and how that helped Quebec get out of the recession in 2008. Um, you know, with a the better you know economic outlook. He's basically saying my austerity is the best austerity. And Pierre was like, that didn't happen. Uh-huh. And Charest was like, what? No, I like that. This is, you cannot rewrite history. He said that as a line several times. You cannot rewrite history. This did happen. I did this. And then Pierre was like, no, you raise the sale tax. You are a liberal in a blue shirt. You increase taxes. You did not lower them. You know, you are... Uh, a liberal who increases taxes. And then Sharek just kept being like, this, what, you, <laughs> I did this. And Pierre was like, no, lies, lies, lies. Wow. This just this weird thing where I guess Sharek either wasn't prepared or didn't know how to respond to something like that. I mean, I don't know how to respond to something. Like, what do you do when someone's just like fully lying <laughs> and it doesn't seem to matter? And then there were moments where Charest seemed to have prepared some gotchas on Pierre, where he would say, well, you know, you voted against this this important thing in the House, like, and Pierre would be like, no, not true. <laughs> and then Charest would be like, sorry, do you deny, do you deny that you did this? And Pierre would be like, yeah, I do. Anyway, and then would like fully move on. Wow. <laughs> it's just like, you know, fact doesn't matter anymore. Um, and I think it's, I mean, if Pierre wins, it it will be uh, kind of like a, a a sense of what's to come in any uh, later on um, political campaign that happens federally. But uh, gosh, that's going to be a really tough egg to crack, I mm. think, because the way that Charest was doing it on the stage at the debate, uh, I mean, he wasn't doing it at all, really. Yeah. And in a situation like that, it requires that journalists are really on on top of this, right, to help explain this and give analysis. And I'm surprised that I didn't hear anything about that. Like I, I saw people complaining about how there was a lot of love for the trucker convoy and that there was a lot of like shitty stuff said and that, you know, Polyev is obviously a far right kind of piece of shit. But like this idea that uh, the new debate style is to just literally lie. I mean, politicians lie all the time, but this is kind of a different kind of lie. And and, and Charé must have felt like he showed up with like a sword and then was like, oh, shit, this guy actually brought grenades. I'm, I'm not prepared to fucking sword off a grenade. I mean, he brought a lightsaber. It's like not even a real weapon. Like, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do when the guy next to you has an imaginary weapon and it like is working? <laughs> It's just like so strange. Yeah. The only other thing that I would say that was maybe worth noting is that there was a lot of talk about how the liberals use the pandemic to divide the country, which I was like, huh, strange talking point, given that the conservatives use the pandemic to divide the country. (laughs) And it was just really bizarre to watch each of the hopefuls. There were five of them on the stage. Uh, talk about dividing the country, but then also talk about their own record on the pandemic for those of them who were, well, all of them are elected uh, at some point 
um, uh, elected folks. And uh, for them to talk about their own record, which makes it very clear that they were using the pandemic as a tool to divide the country. <laughs> it was just such a weird thing to watch. It was like Russian dolls or something like that, like a, or like a weird um, paradox. But anyway, hmm. like I said, it was it was not a Mother's Day rally about trying to just to save humankind's ability to live on the earth at all. It, it definitely forebodes uh, bad news um, because if journalists are not prepared to deal with this. And they are just like, this was what happened to last news debate. And and I mean, and God forbid they try and start doing a fact checking thing, because I don't think that that's the kind of thing that works either, as we've seen with with Donald Trump. Uh, having no one equipped to deal with that kind of political strategy from Polyev is is bad news, because if he does get elected, um, things are going to get very fucking bizarre very quickly. And because the liberals are used to lying in a specific way. Uh, they won't be able to go toe to toe with someone like Polyev. They'll, they'll, like everything he says will just be assumed to be correct by a lot of the supporters. And I don't know how the other parties will operate within that logic. It, it'll I, I feel like it's going to feel very bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's going to feel terrible. And I will say, even though the liberals are, you know, uh, prepare, you know, used to lying in a specific way, it is that lying in a specific way that sets us up for this, <laughs> for this, yeah, this where yeah. we are right now, where, you know, nobody has any trust in, in politics because there is no trust to be had. You know, you've lied for so long. If someone's lying directly to your face about something and someone else is saying they're lying, like you just choose who to, who to trust based on uh, whatever fits your, your ideology or whoever fucking is wearing the best clothes. Like, mm -hmm, I don't know what mm -hmm. uh, people are using to decide. Uh, but it just makes nothing make sense. And that's where we are. Nothing makes sense. Well, thank God for Sandy and Nora is all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> we make sense. Yeah. Yeah. We need to we need to get more people to listen to Sandy and Nora. I mean, that's maybe a conversation to have off air. But um, this seems like the time that people need to be paying attention to what what we're saying anyway. Anyway, um, that's that's shitty. And I'm so glad that you dedicated yourself to, to watching that. Um, I was hoping that there would be a debate in Quebec City and maybe there still will be. But the only one that's like official from the party is going to be in Laval, which is far too far for me to even consider going because like no way would I travel further than down the street to the conservative leadership convention um, debates, uh, which is what I did in uh in 2017, when they had like fucking 100 people running for that for that position, I got to check out one of those debates. But um, I hate that. And um, let's try not to talk about conservatives um, for at least another two episodes. <laughs> Into it. OK, well, what should we talk about today then, Nora? Oh, wow. We're at minute 13 of the podcast. and We haven't even announced what we're talking about today. Well, um, I think that we have to talk about the big news, which is bigger news where you are, because it's about to perhaps be the law of the land. Yeah. Um, perhaps. Abortion. Did you say perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe you, like I, am holding out hope that whatever Clarence Thomas was hospitalized for, you know, takes him out <laughs> yeah. before yeah, yeah, yeah. before the opinion in Dobbs uh, is released but um I don't think um I don't think we're going to win on that hope. <laughs> no, there seems to be some sort of like once you become a Supreme Court justice you absolutely get the best amphetamines possible 
and um, they're just injecting you with that shit all the fucking time, right? Uh, yeah, I also feel like he's probably signed some sort of deal with Satan, so. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, that so helps too. so Roe versus Wade finally um going to just finally and end this this fucking death march uh towards the end of it and and we'll be there and it'll and it'll collapse. So let's talk about um that in general and not spend too too much time on the United States, but I do think it's interesting to talk about the US for sure. Um and then let's talk about Canada and how Canadians have reacted to this news and all the kind of bullshit that happened there. Yeah. And as you might remember, we've talked a little bit before, like uh, about this, um, not on the air, but uh, just between the two of us. I was working with uh, this year at one of the like foremost constitutional law scholars and reproductive rights scholars in in the United States this year. And so I happen to have like this uh, like knowledge right now about reproductive justice in the United States, which I, if I remember correctly, I think I expressed to you, I don't know why anyone would want to get pregnant in the United States. It is terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying how little control people who get pregnant have over their own bodies and how, how intensely policed people are um, who get pregnant in the United States. And, uh, I mean, I, I didn't know this until having to take a look at all of the, the common law that exists that regulates the bodies of people who give birth. And it's, uh, it's pretty shit. And as you said, you know, this like slow march towards the death of Roe, that's exactly what it is. It is it's like since the moment mm-hmm. that it has, that it happened, there has been this march towards eroding Roe. But it does, like this decision in Dobbs, this uh, draft decision that was released in Politico that suggests that they are going to overturn Roe and overturn Casey, uh, it just joins a whole bunch of other opinions (laughs) that are on the books in the United States that are really, really terrifying about, about the control that people have. Uh, over their own bodies when giving birth. Now, I do remember this conversation. I was very surprised by some of the stories that you were telling me. Do do you remember any of the wildest case law that you read um, that like existed even within the the Roe v. Wade context? I can't remember if this one existed in the Roe v. Wade context, but I remember that one of the ones um, that uh, was, I was just like, I cannot believe this, is that uh, if uh, one of the reasons why uh, C-sections are are performed um, so uh, extensively in the United States compared to other countries is because there is law, uh, common law, like case law, that suggests that people who are giving birth are not in the right mind to make their own decisions. And so if the People go in with like a birth plan that says, I don't want to do this. (laughs) I don't want to have a C-section under all of these circumstances. The doctor could make a decision that isn't out of medical necessity, but could make a decision that uh, I'm going to override this and can literally call a judge on the phone. And there are multiple cases of this happening where the judge makes a decision on over the phone that, yes, this person isn't in the right mind to make their decision, do as you will. And then the 
you know, the doctor goes ahead and uh, performs a C-section. And you can imagine that this is in a context that is already super high stress, where someone might be um, in fear or might be uh, having some heightened concern about their well-being. And they're generally awake. And these people are making these decisions that you are not in your right mind. All of these things that you decided before coming in here and what you are saying now that um, that uh, is consistent what you said with what you said before coming in here. It doesn't matter. We're just going to get on the phone and get some people who are in their right mind to make this decision. And here we go. And I just thought, oh, my God, what a terrible, terrible power um, that these people have. Wow. Wow. It's so interesting to think of the Canadian context where those things would happen, but with a lot more like pressure or like interpersonal kinds of of, of interactions rather than like literally calling the fucking state <laughs> to intervene on the phone, mm-hmm. um, which means, of course, that yeah. the fight looks um, looks so much different here. Um, but I am like shocked. There's also I, I, I'm just going to mention one other Please. one. There's also really weird, bizarre cases of like. Um, you know, people who are attempting to end their own lives who are pregnant. Oh. Then getting some sort of uh, criminal charge about uh, trying to harm uh, their fetus. Rather, like, you know, if you if you are a person who tries to end your own life um, and you are not pregnant, you don't get a criminal charge. But if you are a person who tries to end your own life and you are pregnant in some states... You could get a criminal charge if you survive that attempt wow. at ending your own life. Yeah. Yeah. There's just a lot of really um, heinous, you know, we hate particular gender shit going on in um, American law when it comes to reproductive justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and this news, of course, this past week has come out at the same time or around the same time, or maybe we're just paying more attention to it, but that uh, the state of Louisiana is looking to criminalize uh, abortion in the case of ectopic pregnancies which will literally kill someone if you have an ectopic pregnancy, which is, of course, a pregnancy that happens inside of the tube, the fallopian tube, rather than actually making it down into the uterus. And it's not viable. I mean, you cannot save uh, that <laughs> to, to, to bring it to full term. It's like, you know, the body has made a mistake and you need to fix it rather than just letting it kill the kill the person. And so that's really stunning. And, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who's from Alabama and she was saying that, she thinks that this is probably the the beginning of what will eventually be like a split in the United States that the confederacy will try and rise again <laughs> will try and well like that that these that these cleavages between these these states become so enormous that um that the United States will become impossible to govern as a federation and i i hadn't heard anyone talk about it like that um and I think that's really interesting because these are such fundamental issues. And if you look at where abortion is tremendously restricted versus where it's not restricted, uh, you know, at, not at all, but not to the same extent, um, like there's some very clear splits in the in the in the United States. And so this is fundamental. And it's also very difficult because it means that like a lot of the activism, I mean, you got activism in the South, in the southern states where people are. Uh, you know, trying to provide abortion services, like literally just trying to survive. And then you have a, a, a different kinds of action in other parts of the country where 
um, it is legal and you do have more standing. And so you can fight a little bit more for what you have. And it just seems like that that divide, as the context changes so significantly, the divide in activism is going to also um, get far, uh, far greater. And that'll be very, very hard because to offer it's one thing to offer solidarity to people who have a different context than you. But like, at least in Canada, I mean, the context is the fucking same, regardless of where you are. It's all under threat because of austerity and cuts to healthcare spending. But it's not under threat because of a law in fucking British Columbia versus like a fucking law in New Brunswick, you know, like. Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. it, it's very fascinating and um and all I can say is my heart goes out to everyone in the states who are fucking trying to fight this because it's um it's totally massive. Yeah, it is. And I I agree with um the sentiment that your friend said. I I think the same thing. <laughs> like I mean the the only real way to 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 stop um the attacks on the right to an abortion in the U.S., I think, is to put it into, like, to have some sort of way that people who uh, give birth are protected constitutionally, either under, like, right. uh, equal protection or something like that. And for all sorts of reasons, um, gender is not protected in the same way that race is or in the same way that... Um, country of origin is like it is in Canada under the charter gender is separate for for reasons that don't make sense to me and uh there were attempts to to codify like to change the constitution to make sure that um, gender would be seen as uh something that should be protected in the same way as uh race and those failed in uh, you know, in the late seventies and the eighties, and it will never happen. Like you look, look at, look at the, the, um, the landscape of the United States. It's something like there's a, there has to, you have to pass a threshold of states that need to ratify um, this sort of a change. And it's just not possible anymore. It is like things have become so divided that there is no foreseeable path to that ever happening. And so you either go back and forth back and forth on this issue um you change the minds of one side of the issue or there's like some sort of civil war that is we're all headed to which is mm. what you know it just seems like that it, you know not obviously not just on this issue but it certainly seems like this is one of um the important issues in which that may be happening do you have any examples of what that looks like to have gender not protected in this way? Like, d- d- like if, if you're pregnant um, and gender isn't even a consideration in how you're like protected or not protected from the from the state. Like, d- did you come across any cases that just kind of pulled out what that what that looks like when the rubber hits the road? Oh, yeah. I wrote a a huge paper on it, actually. There is. Oh, (laughs) there is. It all stems from this one decision that you should all look up if you're interested, because it's so bizarre, called Gedildug versus Aiello. If you just type in Gedildug decision, you'll you'll find it. Gedildug is like a, a it's like a term like row. It's like the name for a patient that is unnamed. Uh, but it is this case is so famous that if you just put in Goodell Doug, it, this this is what will come up. And it was it was a case that was about like why is it that insurance companies can make these um, exceptions around 
providing a particular type of health care or short-term disability status for workers, um, they were making all of these exceptions for conditions related to pregnancy. And so uh, people took them to court to say, like, you're making these exceptions. This is like a gender-based uh, thing. Uh, you are discriminating against women. And the court said, I know this is going to sound bizarre. It is bizarre. But the court said, it is not discriminating against women because some women aren't pregnant. So be, it, it's not as though all women are on this, like with, with respect to the vote, when we're saying, when, you know, before women's suffrage, uh, when we're saying that, uh, you know, women can't vote, like you're, it's like all women on this side can't vote, all men on this side can, like that is clear discrimination. With respect to women, like, yeah, women uh, can be pregnant, but they're not all pregnant, and not all women can be pregnant. And also, if this was a higher standard, if we really had to protect, like, like race, then maybe we would look at this differently, but we don't. So <laughs> this, is, this is just gender, which is a different level of protection. And so since... This is the case that there are um, women on, on the side of the equation that are not ever going to be pregnant or who are not pregnant at this moment, then this is not discriminatory against women or gender. It is, it's very bizarre. I know it sounds bizarre and it makes no sense. And there's all sorts of like um, ac- uh, scholarship on the reason why it makes no sense, but it is... <laughs> it is what it is. Mm. And that that case uh, also helps to buttress this idea that um, women are not women and gender generally is not um, subject to the same level of scrutiny um, when it comes to equal protection, which is um, the the sort of legislation that governs uh, um, equality and equity in the United States. Mm. Wow, that is so fascinating and depressing <laughs> and weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it totally is. And it's it's an, it's like an example. There are so many examples in the Supreme Court of the United States of them just, you know, like acting like politicians where they just do what they want to happen. Yeah. Like the real the real thing that was happening behind that was that they didn't want to spend all of this money on uh, like it would just it would be so much more money that insurance companies would have to spend, blah, blah, blah. So that that was what it was really about. But instead of just, you know, they they made this this decision that has impacts on everything else up until uh, today and uh, how you can go about uh, protecting um, uh, particular things that people should have access to, mm-hmm. including um, access to necessary reproductive health. And so. Um, I don't know, you know, the, the end of this, it's, 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 it's really awful, but you know, it, it's like, I, I don't even know what to say. Like the right to have an abortion in the U- United States was so tenuous. It was like, it was like on a, uh, like the smallest pinhead that, you know, the, the conservative right in the United States have been chipping away at since the moment it came into be 
being. They've been chipping mm-hmm. away at it. The, the United States uh, right wing are incredibly successful incrementalists. And they have been chipping away at this from the moment it came into being. And it wasn't on strong standing to begin with in the first place. It was on privacy and it mm-hmm. was, it's not a big, it's not a strong thing. And I think that that's perhaps a good place to turn to where we are in Canada to do the compare and contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although I do want to mention this uh, this line in the leaked uh, decision, which is that uh, that that they need to protect the domestic supply of infants. <laughs> Have you seen that? I did see that. It's so bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. Um, anyway, if you haven't seen that, you should look it up. There's just so much, so much of the decision that is based on just the, the most random shit. Yes, and I will also point out one other thing in the de- in the decision that I think. Um, is being talked about in one way, um, but not another way that I just want to bring up, which is that it hinges on this idea that rights that are protected in the United States should be rooted in the history of this nation. Like, did you see this? Right. Yes, yes, yes. Like, fucking shut up, right? Like, because, you know, like, if you root (laughs) rights in the history of the nation, then, like, like, nobody has any rights because that was like the history of the nation was that like only (laughs) dudes who owned property had rights. Right. And of course what the way it is being discussed is how concerning that is um, for uh, legislation and case law that protects people who are queer and people who have certain sorts of sex, the type of sex um, most common between gay men. It's like that, you know, obviously people are talking about it in that way, and that is a big concern. The other thing to bring up, though, is that this kind of everybody hates abortion thing, it's pretty new. It's pretty recent. It wasn't around forever. Because I think it was in the 1850s or something like that, that uh, the fucking eugenic powers that be were like, man, we're so concerned about all of these babies that are being born to the wrong types of people in this country. We have to make it immoral to have abortions because there are too many people who are having abortions. Before that, the rule was, the rule in common law, which was the rule in the United States, in Britain, in Canada, was as soon as the the birthing person felt a quickening or the person who was pregnant felt a quickening which was the idea that you could you could feel the fetus moving within you Um, until that point in time which is similar to the idea of viability until that point in time you could get an abortion and midwives would carry them out and so at this point, like at that point in history in the 1850s, when, you know, uh, the uh, eugenicists are like concerned about who's having babies, they were also really concerned about professionalizing medicine and wanting to take the purview of birth out of the hands of midwives and into the hands of what was then being newly created, the American Medical Association. And so if you are rooting it in the history of this nation, then you fucking got it wrong you supreme court asshats <laughs> like this is not correct right yeah no of course it's um it's i it's all well it's all lies right and it's like it kind of circles back to where we were with fucking pierre polyev like these guys know that you can just fucking lie your way through a decision and they have the power to do that and i think it's also important for us to not get too um 
wrapped up in those lies. Like we have to figure out other ways to confront them than uh, correcting them. Although correcting them is interesting when the history is not known at all. So I like I hope that people are really enjoying this episode because I, I, I certainly am. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's probably a good time to pivot to Canada. And so Canada has this like funny standing in the world as being uh, almost the only country. I think New Zealand perhaps comes close to Canada, but but one of the very few countries that has absolutely no restriction on abortion. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we have no restriction is because we just don't have a law. A law was struck down in 1988 after, you know, the work of activists and a lot, of, a lot, a lot, a lot of activism over decades and decades. And the government was just like, well, that was fucked. Like, let's not touch this again. <laughs> it's like, let's make let's do free trade in the GST instead of fucking trying to regulate abortion. And so um, and so that's the, the legal regime in Canada. It's like, you know, you're talking about all of these case law in the United States. It's like, fuck, in Canada, there's just... It, there's nothing. I mean, there's it's 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 regulated in the same way as any other medical procedure, as in there's regulations around medical procedures and there's licensing and this kind of thing. Um, but uh, that's that's it, um, mm-hmm. which should mean that it's all good. Right. <laughs> Would that be the case? I mean, but you, there's this wonderful Canadianism, which is that, you know, there's all sorts of ways that you could be draconian like on paper but canadians tend to be draconian without writing it down <laughs> doing oh, yeah. it yeah, in yeah, a yeah. different way that you know I, I i recall all of these times in grade school where teachers would ask what is canadian culture and you're like american culture and they're like no it's different and you're like how and they're like tim hortons and you're like that doesn't make any sense this, I think, is it. It's like doing shitty yeah. things without writing it down. And of course, when it comes to accessing abortion in Canada, I mean, the access to abortion in Canada is not universal and it is not the same in each place where you are. You might think it is and then find out if you actually need one. If you're on the East Coast, for example, that um, the access isn't quite as broad as you may have thought it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so one thing that's been very interesting in the last couple of years is that the, the abortion regime in Canada has, has has fundamentally shifted. It fundamentally shifted in 2017 when Health Canada approved a new drug, which is called, well, I don't know how this is how pronounced, so I'm just going to say it phonetically, but it's Mifigaimiso. Mifegymiso, <laughs> so M I F E G Y M I S O. I'm going to call it Mifey. Um, and so this is a this is a pill that you would take if you had a stomach ulcer. And there's other versions of this pill. Uh, originally, like before that, there was another kind of it that 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 activists around the world would try and get in the hands of of people to be able to do local abortions. Um, but, and, but and you use it off label, right? So it's a stomach ulcer medicine, but it would induce an abortion, and not just induce an abortion, but it would be completely safe. I mean, the process is is shitty as hell, but like it it, it it's it. It's that's all you need is is um is to take these pills. And so in 2017, Health Canada approved this pill to be used to induce abortion. And so that means that up to 10 weeks and even beyond by a couple of weeks, anyone in Canada can get these pills if their doctor prescribes them for them. Except there's never been 
a concerted unrolling of MIFE in the in the in the atmosphere in, in in people understanding that this is going on. And so so people don't even know. And then they still seek out abortion clinic services, um, not understanding that they can go to their fucking family doctor oftentimes unless there's like weirdness with the family doctor or they're an asshole or whatever. And that's all it takes is this pill. So that was game changing in 2017. It's not well promoted. And um, and then, of course, doesn't take care of more complicated abortions that that require surgery or whatever. And then on that side of the ledger, things are really, really bad. And the worst thing is that when you get further and further along in a pregnancy and um, let's say you find out that um, the pregnancy is not viable, uh, then you're desperate to try and get this surgery, depending on where you are in Canada, and the clock is ticking and it's absolutely like just soul destroying because you're you're pregnant you've lost the pregnancy and you still have to go through this like all of these hoops to try and figure out where you're going to be able to have the surgery to to have the abortion and it's just like that stage of of, of someone's life and I'm speaking with a bit of experience um is really fucking horrible. And then to have to go through all of these other hoops or you're not, you know, you're in, you're in Iqaluit or you're in uh, Thompson or, or you're, you know, somewhere where you can't get these kinds of medical services, but you need them. Uh, then we look at good old fashioned austerity and uh, cuts within healthcare. And that's where we see that abortion is really under threat in Canada. Yeah. And I mean, uh... It's like a wonder that we are in this place at the same time that we have uh, a prime minister who wants to present himself as someone who is a feminist and is like justifying going overseas to war because of his feminism and protecting women and um, his concerns about gender and so on. But this has been a major problem in Canada, access to abortion care for as long as I can remember and so so as long as I became aware of this, of abortion as an issue at all, which is at some point in high school. And so it's been well over 20 years of this issue, well over 40 years of this being an issue. What the fuck? Yeah, what the fuck? What the fuck? The only reason, the only reason it hasn't been fixed is because of a lack of political will. I know that people are nervous about the same sort of thing happening in the U.S., happening in Canada. And I have seen some reaction to that that has been like, don't worry, it's going to look different. It's not going to be the same because the United States is different. And to some extent, that is true. But it is the case that there are similar organizations, and in some cases, the very same organizations that exist in the United States, that is doing a lot of the funding of anti-abortion activity in Canada. And so people should know, like, as we've said many times before, on many an issue, you know, the borders are not like these uh, concrete walls that stop people from mm -hmm. doing um, organizing uh, uh, across the border, like people are trying to influence um, uh, the the laws of the land in Canada and the laws in the, of the land in the United States from the very same organizations. They will take different tactics, surely, but when it comes to trying to change the minds of people on the ground, most of those tactics look very similar. Yeah, that's such a good point. And, and the group that is the best at this is a group called Campaign Life Coalition. And I 
I think that the left needs to look very fucking hard at the tactics of Campaign Life Coalition. They are so effective at targeting different politicians and promoting them, creating uh, spaces for people to learn leadership skills and to go on speaking circuits like within church basements or whatever. And those people find themselves into politics. The only thing that is like saving us from uh, a situation where the conservatives think that this is an issue that they'll get traction on is that abortion in Canada remains popular. Like, you know, pretty much any poll is going to put like abortion support at being above 75 percent, which is very, very high. Um, which then means that groups like Campaign Life Coalition understand that they are in a hand-to-hand combat over the the hearts and minds of people. And so they get into people very young. They have connections directly with public schools, Catholic schools specifically in a lot of parts of Canada. And um, and they're just so fucking shitty, right? And it's not just abortion. They're also, uh, you know, the people connected with these groups are also um, the ones who are fighting against changing sex education curriculum. They're the ones fighting against trans identity and talking about trans issues for young people. Um, and so it's just this whole ecosystem of complete fucking shit shit that that we have nothing similar to on the on the left and instead on the left you know you've got a lot of groups that have been fighting uh for abortion access for a long time you have abortion providers themselves that have obviously been fighting um for various uh things whether it's more funding or whether it's for awareness or or whatever but there's but you know it's been many many years since we've had a functioning women's movement that actually can start to to do that groundwork and to explain to people what the hell is going on and um and if we if we continue to not have our shit together on this uh, then, you know, of course, as you say, like conservatives play the long game and they chip away at things. And so we shouldn't be worried about losing access to abortion next year. We shouldn't be worried about losing access to abortion if Pierre Polyev is the prime minister. It's going to be after that. <laughs> it's going to be after that. It's going to be everything that comes between now and a longer term from now that will continue to to push down and push down, push down um, support for abortion. And it's it's really interesting because in some ways like this, the, the lack of law plays in our favor because then where you start with a law and like all of a sudden that that becomes just the massive battle. And that's been basically what's saving us for so long. 100 percent. But the, the double edged sword is that it would be very easy for abortion to be legislated. And Sandy, I don't know if you saw, but that Justin Trudeau promised to enshrine access to abortion in law. I saw. What the fuck? What the I fuck? Saw. I know it's the it was the dumbest thing I read this week. I screamed <laughs> like, when I read that. I was like, dude, it, like this is this is clearly from a person who's really comfortable just using these really important issues that are like about life and death for a lot of people as a political plaything. Because otherwise, he would understand how dangerous that is. If you put it into law, it becomes the thing that you just need to put out of the law. And then there's the question of, well, if it is no longer law then has it been criminalized or does it mean that we should have less access to it? All of that. It's, it should not, I, I, it was the dumbest thing I read this week. Absolutely. What you mentioned about um, the, the success of uh, the right in the United States and how they have chipped away at this and how we have not done that on the left. It's just so, so important. One thing to say on that piece is 
I mean, you brilliantly recount this uh, in in your book, uh, but when the the women's movement sort of fell apart in Canada, that would have been the time to shore up um, the Morgenthaler decision, to do more, to make sure that it was as strong as possible. That's what's about to happen in the United States. There's people, the folks who are anti-abortion, who are planning um, and who planned to make Dobbs a thing, who already whittled down Roe through the KCV Planned Parenthood decision, those folks have a plan to continue to do more to make abortion even less accessible in the United States. And so that means going after the states in which abortion is legal and trying to do the very same things, use the very same tactics that they have um, in other states to whittle down what remaining access there will be to abortion care in the United States. So, you know, they, they'll have this big win, but they won't see that at the, as the end. They'll continue going forward to trying to make it even less accessible. I think that at the time of the Morgenthaler decision, it would have been a great time afterwards to try to make sure that access uh, was guaranteed for everyone who required abortion care, but that didn't happen. With respect to um, the other way that this shows up is that, well, geez, like, you know, you had Roe, you had Casey, you had these these legal battles. You also had, you know, these rallies that were happening in front of abortion clinics where they were uh, trying to um, intimidate and in a lot of cases harm people who were going into access abortions. You had people who were extremists who were using bombs and um, killing doctors. You had people who were campus activists who were using imagery to try to impact um, the way that people thought about abortion. They were going into churches, going into religious institutions. They were using a diversity of tactics and working all together in tandem to whittle down um, access to abortion in the United States. There was just all sorts of tactics that were used, and it was monumentally effective. And as you say, like, the left really should look at that, look at that, mm-hmm, because so mm-hmm. many of our fights actually have to do with this sort of like, I think it should be done this way rather than that way. How about we just do it all ways and come to come together when we can come together and when we need to be apart, we're, we're apart because we disagree. But we don't need to spend all of the time trying to get it absolutely perfect on process, because I tell you, like, the impact that this will have, the amount of people that are going to die as a result of the decision in Dobbs that will re- be released in June, unless Clarence Thomas, something happens there. Like, it's just... The stakes are too high. It's just... It's absolutely devastating. The stakes are too high, and we need to start acting like the stakes are fucking high. And I'm, I'm frankly... High. It's like... This is where this is where you can really separate the wheat from the chaff and, and, and see. I mean, I actually saw liberals talking online about how grossed out that they were to see that people were protesting at Supreme Court justices houses. And it's like, what fuck in you. the fuck do you think is coming next? Like, <laughs> if, you're, if you don't have a stomach for that, you might as well just fucking can't, like, I don't know, move out to the 
into the ocean and <laughs> live your ways on the waves the rest of your life. Because, like, the stakes are too fucking high and we have to get our shit together. 